This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A woman, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world I will see, will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thanks, Matthew. Um, y'all, welcome to RUF. Really glad to have y'all here. Um, this is your first time. Uh, particular welcome to you. Uh, RUF is a place, at least right now, it's a virtual place uh, for people who have a great need for a Savior. And if you're like me, you um, are particularly feeling that, that way right now, like that you have um, a lot of needs. Uh, maybe you feel tired or anxious or afraid or bored or disappointed or angry. Um, And all of those things have a way of making us feel needy or like we're lacking something. But at RUF, every week what we do is we gather around as people who acknowledge that we're needy and that we have a great need. And we open up the Bible and we see that the Bible actually tells us that despite us having a great need, for a savior, we have a great savior for our need. That uh, the good news of the scriptures is that God is willing and able to enter into our life to save us and to care for us. Uh, so let me pray for us and we'll look at this passage briefly uh, together. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word and thank you that it's true and thank you that it is so relevant. Uh, I just think I'm amazed at how. Um, this was written thousands of years ago and how true to the human experience it is, how true to our lives it is. I pray that you would apply it now to us in uh, each of our individual situations. I pray for people who are on this call who are maybe doubting you or who are not sure yet if they want to follow you. And I pray for students who are on this call uh, who maybe just need to be encouraged as they try to follow you. Um, Father, wherever we are, I pray that you would meet us and that you would help us to see uh, how this word speaks to us tonight. Would you please do that by the power of your spirit? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have y'all ever noticed how something is like way scarier when you're doing it by yourself? 
Um, it's funny. I, I've even noticed this with my kids. Uh, for some reason, if if everyone is upstairs and they need to go downstairs to get something, they will ask someone to come with them. Even if it's like their youngest sibling, Hank, it's better to go downstairs with Hank by your side and to go downstairs by yourself. And I feel the same way. Like I, I get not, not with my house, but like, I remember when we, um, our staff after a large group, a lot of times we got to go out and uh, get a drink and snacks or whatever and just like chill. Um, and our, our usual spot is Chili's because it's like the modern day golf course as, uh, as Michael Scott says, where, where business gets done. Um, and so we go to Chili's a lot together. And I remember one time I had to go back to the mansion because I forgot something. I had to go inside and I went by myself. Uh, and usually if I go into the mansion, like I'm locking up, I have Andrew or Mary Henley come around with me because locking up that building, if you've ever been there, it's, it's not a place you want to be at night. And uh, I remember going back after our Chili's run and walking in, I, I open up the the door and there's this old lady standing in the middle. No, I'm just kidding. She's not standing there, but I, I, I thought that was what was going to happen. I thought there was someone going to be standing there and I was terrified. And I kind of like ran into the building really quick and got my stuff that I needed and left again. Cause I was, it's, there's something disconcerting about being alone. And uh, Jesus has just told his disciples in this passage that we're studying that he's leaving them and they're afraid. And Jesus's assurance to them, which is such a comfort, I think, uh, and it's such a relevant word to us today. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus is assuring his disciples. This is the night before he's about to be crucified when he's about to leave them and he's assuring them, I will not leave you. But they're wondering, like, how is this going to happen? And the way that Jesus is going to do this, he's going, he begins to explain to them is through the Holy Spirit, this helper that he says he's going to send to them. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is a lot of times the, the third, it's, he's the, what Christians call the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a whole separate sermon, but we believe that that there is only one God, but that he exists in three persons who are all equal in power and eternality and in dominion. And, and yet there are three separate persons. And so the Holy Spirit oftentimes is the, is the, the person in the Trinity that, that doesn't get a lot of shine. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. Um, and I, I don't, there's, there's a number of reasons I think for that. Um, I think one reason when we hear this, when, like if someone tells you, if you invite them to a party and you're like, hey, there's going to be a party Friday night. And if they text back, I can't, oh, I'm sorry, I can't come, but I'll be with you in spirit. Like when you read that, you're like, they're not coming to the party. There's nothing like that comforting about like, oh, thanks. You're going to be with me at the party in spirit. Yay. Um, and I think that we sometimes read parts of scripture like this where we hear the Holy Spirit's going to be with us. And we kind of think of it as the same way as like, well, you're not really going to be there with us. But Jesus is emphatic that it is, it's actually to his disciples benefit that he is going to leave and that the Holy Spirit is going to come later in chapter 16, verse seven. He, he says, quote, it is better for you that I leave so that the helper can come to you, which is, which begs the question, why is it better? Why is it better for the Holy Spirit to come than for Jesus to be with them? Well, one of the reasons is because Jesus is physically a man, which means that he can't be everywhere at the same time. But because he's sending his spirit, 
what God has intended to have happen all throughout the pages of the Bible is going to happen, which is this. God is going to be with his people. In, in verse 23 that, uh, that Matthew read, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, we will come, which is interesting. He's like saying that he's leaving, but now he's also saying, I'm going to come and make my home with you, in you. And this has been part of God's intention with his creation from the very beginning of the Bible. The tragedy of the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see God make this place called the Garden of Eden, and it's where God dwells with his people. And the tragedy of what happens is when man sins, they have to leave the presence of God. They can't live with God. They can't be with him anymore. But God, is, he doesn't give up on Israel. In fact, what he does is he comes and rescues them. And then we, we've studied this earlier in the spring. He commands them to build a tabernacle, a place where he can dwell so that he can be with them. God intends to be with his people. And then he brings them into the promised land so that they can build a temple so that God can permanently dwell with them. But what happens through the rest of the Old Testament is God's people again reject him. And just like they're cast out of Eden, they're cast out of the promised land and they lose this presence of God with the temple. The temple is destroyed. The good news of what Jesus has done at the beginning of the book of John is once again, God has come to dwell with his people in the flesh this time. Jesus literally has come and it's God living with his people. But now he's about to leave and the disciples are afraid. They're scared. They're anxious. Gee, I wonder if you can relate with those emotions right now. I know I can. But what Jesus tells them is that they're never going to be alone. And that's good news. God always intends to be with us. He does not intend to leave us as orphans. There, you need to know that there is no other God like this presented to you from the, the, all the world religions. That God so intends to be this intimate and this close that he would live inside you. A relational, personal being living inside of us. And if Jesus is telling the truth, what this means is that you're, you're really never alone. And like, I don't know, I've, honestly, I've been thinking about death a little bit more um, these last couple of weeks and thought about how like even just historically, there's this really clear um, fear that we have of going um, through the veil of death alone. Like even if you look at, like if you look at the pyramids, for instance, in Egypt. Um, these were constructed as, you know, really big, flashy graveyards. Um, and the tombs of the pharaohs were put in there. When they, when they exhumed these tombs, what they found is that all of these, uh, these kings of Egypt who were so powerful and so wealthy, they filled the, their, their tombs with things that they wanted to bring into the next life with them, or even with people that they wanted to, to to bring the next life with them, people that they buried alive with them. Um, and the, but the reality and the, tra the really the tragedy of, of the pyramids is that when you die, you, there's nothing that goes with you. Like there's this, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but there's this moment where, and each one of us is going to have this moment where we're going to be maybe 
best case scenario with lots of our family around us, gathered around us. And there's this moment where we will go from being with them to not being with them and to being somewhere else. And what Jesus is telling us because of the Holy Spirit is that at that moment, you will not be alone. You will never be alone. The hope of the Christian is that God is always with you. The person of the Holy Spirit never leaves our side. He is always with us. And what God is doing as he's, I mean, and like think about in some ways that is, um, that's a little unsettling maybe to think that God's always with me. Like I remember my RUF campus minister telling me that his, um, his kid had this conversation with him. I thought it was funny. And then the same thing happened with me and my kids. Uh, it, it kind of went like this. We're getting our kids ready for bed, getting them tucked in. And we're talking about, you know, the question of God comes up and I'm like, Oh, I'm the pastor. I've got all the answers. Like, go ahead. What do you want to know? They're like, well, where is God? God is everywhere. So is God in my room? Yeah. God's in your, God's in your room. And then they like pointed right next to me. They're like, is God right there? And I was like, yeah, he is. <laughs> and it was, you know, there's something, it was almost like a little disconcerting to, to be like, well, yeah, he is. He's, he's so intimate and close. He, he really is right next to us. And he's, what Jesus is saying is like, he makes his home inside of us. And that there's something convicting about that. And that's one of the things that the, that the Holy Spirit does do for Christians is um, when we, when we struggle with sin and we struggle with things that don't make God happy, we're, we have to deal with the reality that God's actually right there with us and he sees it all. Um, that God knows the truth about us. Verse 17 that Matthew read says that another name for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So this spirit of truth convicts us about what's true about us, but it also gives us what's true about God. And this is really important. This is a huge, a huge role of what the Holy Spirit does in our life. The Holy Spirit has given us God's word. In 2 Peter 1, um, Peter writes that, that prophets uh, who wrote the Bible, people who, that men who wrote the Bible spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what that means is literally like the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through, through people. Um, and that means that, that the Bible is, that God's word is, is very um, closely intermingled with the work of the Holy Spirit. To illustrate this, when Paul describes what a spirit-filled person looks like in Ephesians 5.18, I think if you would go and look at that, I'll read it to you. Uh, the list that he gives is probably different from the list that you would imagine a spirit-filled person looking like. Like if you thought about like, what is someone who's like, really filled with the Holy Spirit. Like maybe you would think like, man, they're just like emotional and like on fire, on fleek, radical 2.0 Christian warrior for Jesus. That's somebody who's filled with the spirit and they're doing amazing things and miracles and all this crazy stuff. And when, when Paul says, be filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5.18, this is what he says being filled with the spirit looks like. Be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Is that what you would imagine a spirit-filled person looks like? I mean, 
honestly, me, no, that's not what I would have thought of first off. But what he's saying is like a spiritual person is someone who is, who's shaped by God's word, who submits to others uh, out of reverence for Christ, who gives thanks to everything um, to God. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, um, in another one of his letters in Colossians 3.16, Paul, um, Paul talks not about a spirit-filled person. He talks about a word-filled person, someone who's filled with God's word. And then he makes a list describing what that person is like, and it's the same. It's, it's literally the same list. And so what we can see by that is that someone who is, um, who's filled with God's word, who's shaped God, by God's word, that, that is, that's what it looks like to be filled with God's spirit. Um, because here's, here's the deal. All of us are going to be shaped by some kind of words. We're going to believe something about ourselves and about our world that either we tell ourselves or that others tell us. And um, if you're like me, a lot of what, you, uh, what shapes you is what you tell yourself about you. And I know that I, 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 my self-talk has not been um, really easy on me um, the last couple of weeks. You're not doing enough. Or um, you're not helping enough. Maybe you've had that kind of self-talk uh, or maybe, maybe your self-talk is about like how much you keep messing up alone in your room or how hopeless everything is or how helpless you are or that God's forgotten you or that God will love you if you do more. But what God's word does is it assures us that God is with us. That's why I tell y'all every, after every single hour you have to, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. This is what God is telling us in his word. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit works through the teaching of the word, which the Holy Spirit has given to us. And then it helps us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit exists to illumine to us the beauty of who Jesus is. And God has given us that because he cares, because he doesn't want us to be alone. God has given us the Holy Spirit who, verse 26 tells us, will teach us all things and bring to us remembrance of all that he has said. God, by his Spirit, reminds us what is actually true. All right, so I'll, I'll close with this story. Um, there's, uh, there was a famous golfer back in the seventies named Ken Ventura. Uh, some of you may know him because he, he's one of the announcers on the masters, but back in the seventies, he was one of the best golfers in the world. Um, he'd won a, a couple majors and, um, unfortunately though, he, he injured his, his wrist and, um, developed like really bad carpal tunnel in his wrist. He had some kind of, like, I think he broke something in his wrist. Um, and he rehabbed it, got better went out, played uh, another round of like competitive golf and injured it again, first tournament he played. So he went to this specialist in San Francisco with his dad. And uh, Ken and his dad walk in, they get this consultation with the specialist and the specialist leaves, looks at the x-rays, comes back and he sits down and he looks at Ken. He says, all right, here's the deal. Um, you need surgery, but if I do this surgery to spare your, uh, to spare your, your hands and your wrist, you'll never play golf again. But if I don't do the surgery, you can try to, to do some kind of therapy, but you're most likely going to lose the use of your hands um, after a period of time. 
So I'm going to leave and let y'all talk about it and I'll be back. And um, Ken sat there and like didn't say a word and his dad sat there with him and the the weight of that was sitting upon the doctor comes back in he says you had a chance to think about what you want to do and ken's father stands up and walks across the room and he looks at his son and he kisses him on the cheek and he says ken you're the best i ever saw and ken looks at the doctor and he says do the surgery because my dad thinks i'm good now what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit who does not leave us as orphans, the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of what's true. That because of the work of what Jesus Christ on our behalf applied to us by, only by faith through, not, not because of anything that we've done, but surely because of God's grace through faith in him, we get the credit for what Jesus has done. And so God looks at us and he says, you're the best, you're the best I ever saw. And that's true for anyone who's in Christ. And so because of that, what we get is what Jesus says here at the end of this passage. He tells his disciples, what I leave you with is peace. And he says, I don't give it to you as the world gives it, which think about even at that time, like the Pax Romana was like a big thing in the first century. Like Rome had like achieved a global peace in a way that had never been achieved before, but they did it because they fought for it. They had to fight for peace. They had to, they had to earn their peace. But Jesus says, I give you peace, not as the world gives it a peace that you have to earn. He says, I give you my peace. It's Jesus's peace that he's going to earn and that he gives to us. And he gives it to anyone who would, who would come to him as a needy beggar. And so that's welcomed and offered to you um, that, that Christ welcomes to give us his peace, that he's with us. He's with us in the midst of this whole coronavirus pandemic. Uh, he's not forgotten us. Uh, he has actually gone before us. He has faced the evils of this world. He's defeated it. And one day for any of us who is in Christ, uh, we will go through the veil with him. And we will be risen to new life in him for eternity. That's our hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks um, for the truth of the gospel and for your wise provision to us to give us your word and to give us your Holy Spirit so we might know you and be in a relationship with you. Help us to lean into what you have given us uh, as resources to, uh, to go through these hard times. Thank you for your word. Thank you for community. Thank you for your church. Um, Father, thank you for prayer that we can uh, talk to you. Thank you for being near to us. Uh, I pray that that would comfort us and um, I pray that you would meet us in that. We give you thanks and we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.